Good evening and welcome back on this Saturday, the 22nd day of April 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and this has been another week that we're almost getting used to, if that's possible, of more moves towards World War III going nuclear, more inevitable and ultimately total economic meltdown, but at least it hasn't become obvious to the average Joe yet, pun intended, so that means the nuclear war will probably be delayed until it does, or something else ends up serving the same purpose, and there are plenty of candidates there too. More criminality on just about every front that you can mention, and a whole bunch that you're not allowed to, finally being revealed. And this week, even some of the most important anniversaries in at least American history, arguably way beyond that. And we'll get to those a bit later. So let's start with this story, which undoubtedly won't get the coverage it deserves, from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, who sits on a committee investigating some of the criminality we've seen exposed, at least in tiny part, of late. We just finished reviewing, she said, the financial records in the Treasury. And she said, What I saw was over 2,000 pages of jaw-dropping information. Uh, There's basically an enterprise wrapped around Joe Biden. Uh, involving not only multiple family members, more than we thought there were, but other people as well. Uh, Just a complete conglomerate of LLC shell companies where money was passing through from foreign countries, China, Ukraine, but many more countries than just those. There's a lot of information, she continued, that the American people deserve to know of the Biden family and the crimes they've been involved in. And the Oversight Committee has a much bigger investigation to do than we ever thought was possible. But wait, there's even more. I just saw evidence of human trafficking. Uh, This involved prostitutes, not only from here in the United States, but foreign countries like Russia and Ukraine. Uh, this This is unbelievable that a president and a former vice president Uh, Not only his son, Hunter Biden, but many more family members extending past Hunter Biden and his immediate family. What? Hunter Biden involved with prostitution? Who could imagine such a thing? Well, certainly not the New York Times and the WAPO. Why, the next thing you know, we'll probably hear he was smoking crack and making porno videos on his laptop from hell. Yep, well, now that it's arguably too late, the truth continues to slowly come out. And who can really claim to be surprised that the same crime family that wants to inject you with poison against your will, abuse and then sexually mutilate your children, confiscate your property, including your firearms, of course, and destroy what's left of the republic, is engaged in human trafficking. As Representative MJT put it, we're going to have to really get to work because this is an investigation, she said, that needs to be revealed to the American people. Well, finally, folks. And not only, she added, do we have questions about Hunter Biden himself, but this is going to extend into a developing web of corruption, a web of fake companies that's going to reveal money that came in from many foreign countries and went directly into the personal bank accounts of the Biden family, where they have financially benefited directly from Joe Biden's seats of power. And, she concluded, we'll look forward to exposing this for the American people. But it turns out that was only the entree this week for some of the other fireworks that MTG ended up being involved in. And the next one was arguably a lot higher profile. But I still think I enjoyed Zero Hedge's headline the best. 
MTG, that's Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, of Georgia, has bared her fang fangs and throws a House meeting into chaos by speaking truth into the congressional record. And the fact that a scumbag from California who not only wants your guns but is willing to nuke you to get them, and that's one of the least of his crimes, Eric Swalwell, of doing what everybody, as she correctly put it, already knows. Selling out his country for some bang-bangs with fang-fang. But you know what? I realize when I just put it that way, I'm giving him too much credit. The United States is certainly not the country this scumbag represents. Anyway, here's a bit of the audio from the House Homeland Security Committee meeting on Wednesday. And it starts with the scumbag buttering up the test liar Alejandro Mayorkas, who's evidently just thrilled to have somebody on his team throw him a softball our rhetoric and to denounce anti-Semitism and anti-police rhetoric in this country so that Jewish Americans and police officers can be safer? Congressman, I do. Thank you, and I yield back. The gentleman yields, and now I recognize the gentlelady from Georgia, Miss Green. That was quite entertaining from someone that had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy, and everyone knows it. But I move to take our words down. Completely inappropriate. Yeah, stand by just a second while we research the rule. Um, Give me just a second. Okay, well, not just a second, but about five minutes later. Meanwhile, though, we did hear this. Will you withdraw those comments, Madam Gentlelady? Answer, no. And I do respect her uh, self-control. But finally. Okay, the chair rules that those uh, words that were spoken are not going to be stricken from the record. The gentleman gentleman from Mississippi is recognized. And this is a real piece of work. Benny Thompson. Um, I don't think there's any question about uh, what the general lady said. I've been on this committee uh, from day one. Uh, We've never had an accusation uh, made of any member like that. And so far, so good. He's right. But the problem is, it's true, and every single person sitting there knows it. This guy sold out American national security and slept with a Chinese communist spy. And a few years back, he'd have been kicked out of a Congress with integrity, and if he wasn't a leftist, charged with espionage. So back to the sycophant and disgusting excuse for a Congress critter. Uh, We've never had an accusation uh, made of any member like that, and uh, I'm appalled at it. We all ought to be a embarrassed at it. We are better committed than what the general lady is trying to make of this committee. Oh, what? Did we hear that right? And did you actually think he was taking a traitor to task for sleeping with a communist Chinese spy and pulling a Biden fuhrer between the sheets? Hey, maybe when he becomes senile, Eric Swalwell can be president if Benny Thompson doesn't beat him there first. Which leads me to the place in this sequence where the plot really thickens. So we go a number of different directions. Got to pay attention here and see how the dots connect. As I mentioned up front, a whole lot of really interesting stuff came out this week. Not that those who pay attention to the alternative press didn't know it for quite some time. Like the Hunter Biden laptop story was true all along. And it was part of the deep state effort to first rig the 2020 election and then make sure that it stayed rigged. And there was a lot of fire this week that came out around that particular smokescreen. So no wonder the rhinos were looking for cover and Americans were told, hey, look over here, look over there. No, don't pay any attention to any of this stuff. Just go buy a can of Bud Light and send your kids off to have their genitalia removed. So let's start cutting through it and connect some dots, first with the fire, then the smoke. And when the leftist press has to keep saying mea culpa and admit that the things they've been lying about for so long were true all along, you know it's getting a little bit hot in the kitchen. 
And this week saw several of these. And let's start with things that didn't come out until late in the week, even though the story's been around a long time. An ex-acting CIA director, another scumbag, reveals that he, in fact, had 50 spies sign that infamous letter claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop scandal was, say it with me, Russia, Russia, Russian disinformation. Why? Because they all wanted Joe to win the presidential election. Or they knew it was going to be rigged, and they wanted to make sure that after he allegedly won it, they could keep lying about it, and while it stank to high heaven, at least it wouldn't be quite so obvious. A retired CIA leader coordinated that letter from so-called former intelligence chiefs claiming that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, said the Daily Mail on Friday because he wanted to help Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Mike Morrell was the scumbag who told the House Judiciary Committee that he was in fact asked by none other than Anthony Blinken, the now Secretary of State, then senior member of the Biden campaign to help discredit laptop reporting. This courtesy of the House Judiciary Committee, led by Jim Jordan, which is currently investigating Hunter Biden's laptop, as well as a whole bunch of other corruption, crime, criminality, and, uh, yeah, finagling. Morell recently conducted a transcribed interview with Jordan's team and was asked about the Biden campaign response to the laptop from hell. And apparently he agreed to help them deep-six it, because, really, weren't they all on the same team anyway? He said he was asked by Blinken to rally former intelligence chiefs to agree that the laptop, regardless of what the truth was, looked like a Russian smear campaign. By the way, other signers included none other than the traitorous perjuring James Clapper, John Brennan, and Leon Panetta. But <laughs> are you even remotely surprised? The letter was ultimately signed by 51 former so-called intelligence officials, including not only the aforementioned, but a total of four directors of America's version of the NKVD. And just days after the New York Post revealed the contents of the laptop from hell, the letter was published by Politico under the headline, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, say dozens of former officials. And then, of course, the rest of the waste stream lying media piled on. And after that, when they rigged the election, which everyone with half a brain now knows that had it been honest, in fact, actually re-elected President Trump by a landslide over the senile guy who basically never came out of his basement and could barely fill a broom closet with supporters, spaced widely apart, of course, much less a football stadium. Zero Hedge adds a piece that doesn't seem to get much coverage from the waste stream, which is finally having to at least admit there's truth here. Morell, who was at the time a former deputy director of the CIA, said he also coordinated with the Biden campaign itself on strategy over the letter's release. Who could have thought it? And here's one of the most disgusting things in the so-called intelligence letter, folks. When those deep state insiders finally released their public statement assaulting the New York Post story and infamously declared it had all the, quote, classic earmarks of a Russian disinformation operation, they declared their conviction that, I hope you're sitting down and haven't recently had breakfast, quote, American citizens should determine the outcome of elections, not foreign governments, unquote. And wouldn't it be cool if their votes actually counted? Because the truth is, it's the deep state that declares the outcome of American elections. They know it, and you're not supposed to. But wait, there is, of course, more, since even the waste stream has now admitted they've been lying all along, like so many other things. Hey, take your poison poke, anyone that wasn't developed in a Chinese bioweapons lab, and with American taxpayer assistance, courtesy of Tony Fauci and his evil minions from hell. 
Well, they got even more splendid to do, so they need some more smoke and a little bit of help from their friends. The feds says yet another mea culpa from the Daily Mail, and their prosecutors, sick, are now considering four possible charges against infamous alleged first son Hunter Biden. Two, of course, misdemeanor counts for failure to file taxes, unt a single felony count of tax evasion, and one felony count related to a gun purchase. I guess because now he's back in the ranks of the peons, he too is not allowed to buy firearms, at least not the way he used to. The Daily Mail helpfully tells us that additionally, two senior law enforcement sources told the NBC network there's growing frustration inside the Federal Bureau of Instigation because the bulk of their investigative work, sick, was finished last year. Hell, they've had the laptop for at least two and a half, right? While the IRS finished their so-called tax investigation more than a year ago, but they waited until they made darn sure that this wasn't going to be able to be swept under the rug. Still, though, they say there's no indication of when charges, if any, may actually come. I guess it depends on how the press is able to spin what we're seeing right now. Case in point, notice, kind of like Al Capone, they're going to try to sick the IRS on this guy, because that at least will be a warning to other Americans who don't have the big guy on their team to cover their ass while they're doing cocaine parties with Chinese and Ukrainian hookers. And isn't the gun control angle cute? Right, Zero Hedge, hey, what's missing from the list of possible indictments here? How about Hunter Biden's trips on Air Force Two with then-VP Daddy to ink shady family deals with CCP-linked business partners, or that giant diamond and a $30 million offer that has all the appearances of a bribe, or the $3.5 million payment made to the Hunter-founded firm with the wife of former mayor of Moscow? No, none of that. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Oh, yeah, and what else kind of sort of stinks to high heaven about all of this? Another piece from the Daily Mail admits it. Attorney General Merrick Garland, one of the biggest scumbags to sit in that office since the butcher of Waco, Janet Reno herself, is, in fact, the senior political appointee at the center of that IRS whistleblower's bombshell claim that the Biden regime thwarted and interfered with any probe of the Hunter Biden criminal laptop from hell. Who could have imagined such a thing? And can you smell a rat and connect the dots? If not, we'll throw this on the fire. Remember how Marjorie Taylor Greene is upset about communist Chinese spy infiltration of Washington? Not just Eric Swalwell, Mr. Bang Bang with Fang Fang, but of course the uh, oval orifice itself. Well, because she said those things in public in the middle of a hearing, punishment is warranted. Again from the Daily Mail, Marjorie Taylor Greene could be kicked off the Homeland Security Committee by various rhinos who would rather just go along to get along and make sure that none of this, as they had planned on, ever comes out. Cue the smoke. From there, let's change gears a bit and go to some stories from Dr. Mercola. They, too, reveal another aspect of the big lie being revealed. Last week, the first one says, I reported that pork producers have been using customizable mRNA-based so-called vaccines on their herds since 2018 without telling the public. But the issue only rose to the surface after attorney Tom Renz recently started promoting new legislation in the state of Missouri, House Bill 1169, which he helped write, that would require actual labeling of mRNA products. Presumably, that's in case you don't want it shoved into your arm or stuffed into your mouth, whether you knew it or not. And as you might expect, folks, lobbyists there that want to slam this stuff into unsuspecting consumers squeal like stuck pigs. 
Within days, while the waste stream remained silent, Alternative Media at least was abuzz with the story. Wren started making the round sharing evidence that shows the U.S. government, or what now passes for it, has been working on the integration of vaccines, as they're called, but they're really not, into foods for at least two decades. In an April 2, 2023 interview this year with Dr. Naomi Wolf, Wren said the following, Gates, the WHO, the World Health Organization, a ton of these universities, they're all talking about including mRNA vaccinations as part of the food. They're going to modify the genes of these foods to make them mRNA vaccines, unquote. And you may recall, folks, quite some time ago in an interview I did with Celeste Solem, she made the same point. And again, the pushback by big ag lobbyists against this bill to require transparency on this important issue has been enormous. One potential reason, because they'd have to admit that all sorts of foods have already been vaccinated with mRNA vaccines, they have genetic modifications, or they've been modified to serve as vaccination conduits for human beings. And don't forget, they've been doing the same thing with genetically modified frankenfoods now for years. But those only destroy your body physically, not necessarily your DNA. Now, the related story from Dr. Mercola is entitled, How Long Have You Been Consuming Gene Therapy Pork? Hopefully, regular listeners to this network and your host here in particular already know that pork is not food. Don't eat it. And uh, that, at least, is important for a whole lot of reasons, at least one of which Dr. Mercola starts off with, saying, For the last couple of years, I've recommended not eating pork due to its high linoleic acid, or LA content. But there's an even bigger reason to avoid it now. And he's not talking about scripture. That, of course, is more than sufficient. Since 2018, he says, pork producers, and that's since 2018, note, pork producers have been using customizable mRNA-based so-called vaccines on their herds, and this has slipped completely under the radar. I myself, he said, just found out about it, and it's been described on Merck's Animal Health website this way. A revolutionary swine vaccine platform called Sequivity harnesses RNA particle technology to create customized prescription vaccines against strains of influenza A virus in swine, porcine circovirus, PCV, rotavirus, and beyond. It's supported by a sophisticated dashboard filled with comprehensive data and insights. Sequivity is a custom swine vaccine platform. It only targets swine pathogen gene sequences of interest, well, at least so they say. It doesn't replicate or cause disease. Again, yeah, sure. Do you believe that? Just delivering pathogen information to the immune system. There's no need to transfer or handle live material like autogenous killed or modified live vaccines. It targets existing and evolving swine pathogens, including diseases not covered by conventional swine vaccines. And it allows for the creation of multivalent formulations by blending RNA particles to target multiple swine pathogens in one convenient shot. The story goes on to note that the very first RNA-based livestock vaccine was called a H3N2 swine influenza RNA shot, licensed over a decade ago in 2012 and developed by Harris Vaccines. That company followed up with an avian influenza mRNA shot in 2015, and Harris Vaccines was acquired by Merck Animal Health later that same year. There's a whole lot more to the story here. Bayer has partnered with BioNTech to develop mRNA vaccines, as they're called, for both livestock and pets, but doesn't appear they've yet launched anything. But now we got to ask, would we know anyway? Still, it seems that Americans, writes Dr. Mercola, have been eating pork, those that don't know any better anyway, treated with gene therapy for the past five years. And now, even more of the meat supply, sick, is about to get contaminated with the same treatment. The story goes on to talk about the big pharma incest here as one company acquires another, or cross-pollinates its various so-called products, 
The players include some of the names you already know, not just Harris vaccines acquired by Merck. One of the collaborations was with Moderna and their RNA technology. But one of the real keys here, as Dr. Mercola puts it, is endless customization as they advertise it. Oh yeah, we can modify this mRNA to do all kinds of wonderful things, but with zero safety testing. Using the platform they advertise, a customized vaccine can be created in as little as eight weeks. Well, what could possibly go wrong by not testing each and every one of these shots for actual safety? Well, who cares, right? We're going to stick it in pigs, and gullible people are going to eat it, and if it causes problems, well, they'll never know, because we're probably going to inject them with the other stuff anyway, and nobody will be able eventually to tell what it was that killed them or caused them to have cancer or various lung, immune, heart, or circulatory problems. Says Dr. Mercola, the risk of dangerous side effects is just one of the reasons why not all conventional vaccines work out. Some simply cause too many problems. <laughs> and even if they do, nowadays, that doesn't seem to be an issue. At least it doesn't affect their marketability or their ability to be free of worry about liability. Now, says Dr. Mercola, we're to believe that the possibility for dangerous side effects doesn't exist just because we're forcing the body to produce the antigen internally. If anything, he says, the possibility for problems is higher than ever as exposure to the antigen is continuous for a long period of time, possibly for the life of the animal. And that would include humans now, it seems. Unfortunately, due to search engines, though, only providing a short list of curated and heavily censored content, Surprise, surprise, right? It's been impossible, he says, to determine just how many pork producers in the U.S. already use sequivity. Without that data, I recommend erring on the safe side and avoiding pork altogether. And of course, anybody that can read the Bible knows that was the right answer forever anyway. And that includes organic pork, because organic standards don't have any rules about the use of vaccines, mRNA-based or otherwise. Still, since the Sequivity platform has been around for nearly five years already, it seems reasonable, says Dr. Mercola, to assume that nearly all large-scale swine producers have made the transition. Says Dr. Mercola, if mRNA shots can cause significant disease, and we're seeing it in humans, how has it affected the pork supply for the last five years? And how will it affect beef and chicken in the future? Now here, folks, I'll note that Celeste Solom has indicated they're also working on putting this crap in lettuce and other vegetables, too. So they're going to make it as impossible as they can to avoid the poisons they intend to put into the human genome. Back to Mercola, can consuming genetically manipulated meat affect your health? Uh, I'd have to ask, duh. These are questions that currently don't have answers and must be thoroughly and comprehensively investigated. And guess what? There's no money in doing it, because the real money is in making sure you don't know about it. One of the most frustrating aspects of this, says Dr. Mercola, is that the industry didn't tell us they were using novel gene therapy to spin up so-called customized vaccines in weeks without any actual safety testing. The only reason many of us became aware of this issue over recent weeks was because attorney Tom Renz started warning about it. In his Substack dated April 2nd this year, Tom wrote, I've been talking about gene therapy vaccines being introduced into the food supply without people being provided informed consent on my Twitter account, as well as pushing Missouri HB 1169, our best bet of stopping this from happening. This, he says, is a nightmare scenario whereby people's genetics are potentially being altered with so-called factory foods without them even knowing. Let me begin by putting to rest any questions as to whether this can happen, because the idea of vaccines and food has been around for a long time. Then he quotes an article published by the NIH, Big Brother itself, talking about foods under application to be GMO to become edible vaccines. 
and that link dates from 2013. And you just have to remember that the additives in the mRNA so-called vaccines are by no means proven safe and effective. We don't even know what's in all of these shots. Ultimately, the mRNA jabs still have not undergone long-term testing because they hadn't been long enough because long-term testing can take 10 to 20 years. They haven't even existed that long. So any claims about the safety or efficacy of the stuff that's in them is at best garbage. When it comes to the bill and Big Ag's rabid opposition, he notes that the problem is major factory farmers like Bill Gates have legal teams that set up defense shields against the torts that may come if the food supply starts poisoning people. Meanwhile, small farmers are at risk of being sued if it turns out that what they're selling is unsafe, despite the fact most of them won't necessarily even know what's happening. Let me put it this way again. This isn't about helping farmers. It's about uh, doping the slaves. And that, folks, speaks volumes. Even so, we're just getting started. So stay with us. We'll be right back after the bottom of the hour. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening, and we're going to kick this one off a bit differently than I sometimes do, because this week was the anniversary of some of the most important events in American history, for both good and for evil. So we'll start off with the anniversary that fell on Wednesday this year, of April 19th. A most auspicious anniversary, and what I mean by that is that April the 19th is one of the most important anniversaries in history. Certainly because it's the anniversary of the shot heard around the world, April the 19th, 1775, Lexington and Concord Green, where Redcoats, even then attempting gun confiscation for the tyrannical King George III, fired on American Minutemen, and the shot heard around the world began the war for American independence and a revolution that changed the world forever. Without question, folks, this is the real Patriot's Day. And 419 is certainly a date that has marked turning points for both liberty and tyranny. On April the 19th, 1943, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising against the Nazis was terminated on this day. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln ordered a blockade of Confederate ports that ultimately kicked off what's been called either the American Civil War or the War to Prevent Southern Independence. And ultimately, as we now see in hindsight, marked the end of the Constitution as a voluntary compact among free and independent states. And in 1933, climaxing a series of acts of tyranny, 
the American dictator Franklin Delano Roosevelt issued a proclamation putting another wooden stake in the concept of honest weights and measures and removing the U.S. from the official gold standard. And he'd already led up to that by stealing most of the American people's gold already. Tragically, though, other anniversaries of 419 in more recent history have been ever more sinister, even satanic. April the 19th, 1993, is the day of Janet Reno and Bill Clinton's final solution in Waco, Texas, where America's standing army burned down a Seventh-day Adventist church and executed 76 men, women, and a whole lot of children and made sure that anyone who tried to escape Reno's fire out the backside away from the television cameras was shot by snipers like Lon Horiuchi and soldiers from Delta Force, after which the bodies were bulldozed back into the inferno and the ground was literally dug up and moved to destroy the chain of evidence. And two years to the day later, April the 19th, 1995, the criminal team destroyed the evidence that remained at the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City by blowing it up via demolition charges set on steel-reinforced concrete columns, as has been demonstrated multiple times since then, and then blaming it on a scapegoat and his puny but ever-growing truck bomb named Tim McVeigh. They killed a whole lot of people there, too, including children, and all the perpetrators and facilitators in both those events not only got off scot-free... Don Horiuchi went into witness protection, and uh, one of the scumbags who tried to make sure the truth would never come out, especially in Congress, later was stuffed into office as the senile alleged president of the United States. And the quarter century since has proven just how ignorant the American people are of American history, because things have gone steadily downhill from those two acts of state terrorism, and obviously emboldened by their success, they've been up in the ante, tightening the Orwellian screws and killing more and more people ever since. So among other things we learn from the history of this day, it's a very important time to be very watchful. From there, let's go on to Thursday, 420, and its anniversary. And I'll begin by noting that this particular date is interesting for the contrast with yesterday. 419 was certainly a day marked by both evil and major moves towards liberty. In other words, the shot heard around the world at Lexington and Concord. Later, that historic turning point was literally covered up by a massacre in a church in Texas and the false flag destruction of a building in Oklahoma City, to the point where the same people that basically perpetrated those atrocities were able to rename Patriots Day after another false flag, you know this one, New York City and the Twin Towers on 9-11. But no doubt about it, the globalist communist far left likes this day, 420, a lot better. If you haven't heard already, well, don't worry, the web is full of celebratory announcements. 420, as Zero Hedge summarizes it, is not only the day commonly used to push for legalization of marijuana or cannabis, but the number 420 has been popularized even beyond that. It's even a moniker used to describe the uh, weed-friendly online. Like other symbols generally associated with the left, it's also used even to describe things like venues that are 420-friendly. And interestingly, given the confluence here, the day 419 being followed up by 420 is significant as an anniversary for several reasons. Most of them also connected directly with tyranny and the far left, or do I repeat myself? Starting with a famous birthday. On this day, April 20th in 1889, in Austria, a paper hanger who became a famous dictator was born. You know the name, Adolf Hitler. So evidently did the famous murdering poster children of the gun-banning far left, Dylan and Kleibold, who chose this same date in 1999 to try to blow up and kill as many people as possible at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. They ended up being able to famously kill 13 people with guns, but not nearly as many as at least they had intended. They had portable propane barbecue tanks rigged to explode and spread shrapnel as well, and may have ended up killing a lot more people, but amazingly, those didn't go off. 
Hmm, almost like somebody pulling the strings changed the plan. Isn't this interesting? It really does, however, fit and not only that, but kick off the Waste Stream narrative. Exactly what we've seen ever since. It's the guns, not the murders themselves and the other tools that they had intended to use. Almost like their handlers had other ideas. Oh yeah, here it is, over 20 years later, and you're still not hearing the whole truth about that one either. But hey, we're not quite done yet. Just to show that 420 friendly means more than just worshipping at the altar of weed, there was an explosion on the Deepwater Horizon in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010 on this day. Isn't that interesting? The largest oil spill in history. And just two years ago to the day, a former police officer named Derek Chauvin, regardless of the actual truth of the matter, was, um, well, I like the term lynched because he assisted in the suicide of a fellow whose name you know, George Floyd. But Lieutenant Mike Bird, Ashley Babbitt's executioner on January the 6th, nah, you don't hear much about him. He didn't get lynched, that's for sure, or even charged. How about the cops that executed that law student at a traffic stop in Utah not long ago? 25-year-old Chase Allen back on the 1st of March. It's six weeks later. Do we even know the names of his executioners? And if anybody's been charged or even investigated, well, I sure haven't seen any coverage of it. As a matter of fact... Other than the usual demonization of anybody who thinks the Bill of Rights still actually applies to them as sovereign citizens, the sound of crickets chirping is an overstatement compared to waste media coverage of this one. So just maybe, folks, the term 420-friendly means more than those who use it routinely actually understand. But whatever it means, no doubt about it, it's certainly a better description of what applies to America with a K on this date in 2023 than any date you can point to and say 1775 or 76, if you know why history matters anyway. We saw in the first segment why Congress and the TLAs don't want you to hear about treason. How about another act of treason that Two-Face Book doesn't want you to hear about? This one courtesy of Paul Joseph Watson and his Summit News. Two-Face Book is censoring Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hersh's story on, you can guess it, can't you, U.S. involvement, and that's putting it mildly, folks. The fact is they committed an act of war and blew up an international pipeline, Nord Stream 1 and 2 from Russia to Germany. How did they do it? Well, Two-Facebook used a so-called fact-checker, there's a novel approach, with links to the Norwegian government. And what represents, says Watson, a clear conflict of interest. Gee, do you think? Earlier this year, as you probably recall, if you don't get your news from the criminally negligent networks, Hearst published a report asserting what we all know to be true because the facts are just so clear. Otherwise, anyway, the pipelines were destroyed by the U.S. government, or what now passes for it, as part of a covert operation organized with the aid of the Norwegian government, their secret service, and Navy. Journalist Michael Schellenberger, in this case, first noticed the issue when he tried to post Hirsch's article to to Facebook, but the socialist media giant slapped a giant warning label on the link stating, false information, checked by independent fact-checkers. Achtung, ut, you will be silent. Trouble is, as uh, everybody knows, the so-called fact-checkers aren't independent at all. And one thing's for sure, as Sellenberger notes, Hirsch is infinitely more independent than Two Facebook's Norwegian fact-checker, which is in fact a public-private partnership with a Norwegian government-owned media company, NRK, and has a direct self-interest in censoring the story, along with the other public-private partners that masquerade as media in much of the New World Order. Rose Schellenberger, and this is probably a good point too, back when we had honest journalists at least, whether Hirsch is right or wrong, his reporting should be debated publicly, not censored. Two Facebook's actions, and he didn't spell it right, but you know I pronounce it properly, 
Those actions are antithetical to the American tradition of free and open debate and its rejection of secretive authoritarian censorship. And here he too points out that uh, Two-Facebook has broad liability protections under what's called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, things that other media companies don't get. But still, they're acting like a media company, not a platform. So you would hope, at least, they're putting their Section 230 protection at risk. And by censoring Hirsch, they're only attracting more attention to it. Should have been done a long time ago, folks. Would have if we still had a free press, free speech, and a republic. Item, and this would also be good news if we still had any of those things, comes from Zachary Stiber via the Epic Times. The United States, for the first time ever, has now paid people, or is it a slap in the face, who are injured and tried to at least be able to prove it by the COVID-1984 not vaccines. Three people, it says, received compensation for their injuries through the so-called Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, SICP, run by an agency within the Department of Health and Human Services, what a misnomer, officials said in a new update. One person who suffered severe allergic shock was gifted the staggering sum of $2,019, according to the agency, the Health Resources and Services Administration. One person who suffered heart inflammation or myocarditis got an entire 1582 bucks. Another who got myocarditis suffered, ooh, I'm sorry, received. 1032 bucks. Put them all together, folks. They're not even enough to pay for a decent emergency room visit. But they are at least sufficient to point out the level of hypocrisy here, as well as kind of a slap in the face at anybody that dies or suffers permanent debilitating injury or worse through the Zyklon B injections that are still called safe and effective. The manufacturer of the vaccines was not made public. Hey, there's a shocker. Information about the people who received the payments, maybe because they've suffered enough already, were also not made public, but the payouts still mark the first time Big Brother in America with a K has allegedly at least paid people, yeah, with payments like this, folks. Who needs another kick in the you-know-what? They got more for staying home and not working who were injured by the not vaccines, which obviously can cause serious problems as well as death, and uh, this is not even the tip of an ice cube, much less an iceberg said Wayne Rode, author of The Vaccine Court, commenting on this latest abomination. These amounts are so low, you can credibly assume this was just for unreimbursed medical expenses, and that's it. It's unconscionable, he added, what they're doing, but that's the program. Under the CICP, the article tells us helpfully, people who survive vaccine-related injuries, if they're really lucky and Big Brother is feeling really charitable, just might give them a few fiat bucks for unreimbursed medical expenses and lost employment income. I guess the point's clear. You're better off just staying home and getting your communist stipend. Here's an item for this 420 that might fly under the radar but does indicate more than meets the eye. From CNN and their coverage, more than half of the gas stations in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area have been closed as of Wednesday. As a result, they say, of flooding from last week's massive storm. wonder how that managed to show up there and be more than three sigma away from the norm. It caused a wave of panic buying by drivers topping off their gas tanks, says the excuse here. After a storm dumped 20 inches of rain on Fort Lauderdale in just one day last Wednesday, causing widespread flooding and disruptions to operations at Port Everglades in that city, where a significant portion of the gasoline for the region comes through a dozen different gas terminals. Gee, it's almost like somebody is attacking what are called red states, isn't it? 
Data from Gas Buddy showed 60% of stations in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami market were closed Wednesday, up from 20% on Sunday, and other nearby markets were also reporting major station outages. At least some skeptics are saying, huh, could this be weaponized fuel rationing being used against red state and maybe associated with their governor's stand against the LGBTQ++ PC agenda? After all, remember who the transportation secretary sick is and what his sick agenda is and what his qualifications are. And come to think of it, folks, it wouldn't be the first time this regime has attacked energy supplies, especially from people that they believe don't deserve it anyway, right? On to a couple of other weird ones. SpaceX's uncrewed Starship rocket burst into flames immediately after launch on Thursday, but Elon Musk and his space company are celebrating their test flight. Quote, with a test like this, tweeted Musk, or SpaceX anyway, success comes from what we learn, and today's test will help us improve Starship's reliability, which, well, so far isn't all that great, as SpaceX seeks to make life multiplanetary. Instead of a mishap, they called it a, quote, rapid unscheduled disassembly before stage separation. And Musk is consoling himself by saying, hey, he'd only given the chances of the spacecraft reaching orbit 50-50 or so anyway. But let's pause here, folks, because your host does have to admit and give him some credit. If this had been a genuine Big Brother in Toto operation, they'd have already rewritten history by now and denied that there ever was such a flight. From PJ Media in the morning briefing, there's this. A quick look at what's going on around Washington reveals that the Democrats, a.k.a. the communists, aren't a really healthy bunch. The man masquerading as president of these United States is just as likely to wax on and on about gargoyles slathering centered oils on his recently shaven torso as he is to read properly from the teleprompter. Diane Feinswein, oldest living member of the Senate, if you can call it that, has been physically out of commission since February. And, of course, Pennsylvania's vegetable, John Fetterman, just returned from his lengthy absence, or is it his body double, to deal with his physical and mental health. But, uh, at best, it's arguably physical health, if you could even call it that. Throw on the fact that the VP, writes Stephen Cruiser, most likely has Tourette's syndrome. And who knows, she may have gotten that sleep on her way to the top. Your host can't help but interject. Well, says the piece, it's quite a mixed bag of maladies over there on the far, far left. But the Fetterman case is still one of the most baffling of all. And we've certainly all witnessed bottom feeding over the last few years. But it's obvious that the deep state and the left were so intent on maintaining control of the Senate at any cost that they went all in on a stroked out vegetable. If Fetterman, he says, had any decent human beings around him, they would have encouraged him to focus on his health and try to get fully recovered before doing anything like this. But unfortunately, he was surrounded by Democrats. And the cringe-worthy moments have just abounded ever since. And I'll say it again, that speaks volumes, folks. It really tells the story today, doesn't it? And so does this, in a related way. Do you remember last week that widely touted online leak, or so we're told, of highly classified, and I'll say it again, or so we're told, Pentagon intelligence has been explained. And here's how Sundance at the Conservative Treehouse puts it. By now, people are familiar with a New York Times originally sourced story of a leak of sensitive classified information regarding U.S. operations in Ukraine and other geopolitical efforts. The New York Times was the first with the story, as shared with them by senior Biden regime officials, their analysis opens, and they went on to explain that the classified war documents containing confidential American and NATO plans to strengthen the Ukrainian military in preparation for an anticipated attack against Russian troops were shared. Oh, no on open socialist media channels. 
But as TCT puts it, hey, let's use this opportunity to expand our knowledge base, overlay the known frameworks that operate within our government, and simultaneously give a perspective that's not going to surface anywhere else. And I love the way they put this. Think about this, folks. Here are the details. The emergence of the story in the New York Times, says Sundance, suggests that the key players involved in the background narrative of the issue are domestic intelligence interests. Because if the State Department had a stake in the matter, well, then it would have been CNN that was chosen to present the story. Alternatively, if it was a U.S. foreign intelligence operation and they had a stake in the issue, it would have been the WAPO to report the story first, says TCT. And according to the New York Times, the story is attributed to one of those senior Biden administration officials pointing to U.S. domestic intelligence interests, all of which, says Sundance, implies that the narrative is strategically directed towards shaping public opinion from the perspective of U.S. government domestic PR, or propaganda and public relations. The intention behind the narrative is to influence a domestic audience with a motive towards, guess what, a specific objective. Secondly, he adds, and in full alignment with the first point, the centerpiece of the story is focused on a leak that surfaces in social media. This fits perfectly with the domestic intelligence stakeholders, which include, but are not limited to, DHS, the National Security Council, etc. And we know that so-called domestic intelligence operates as the backbone of social media platforms. An example in DHS and domestic intelligence community work is what we've seen outlined in the Twitter files. Put it all together, a domestic IC product surfaced. (laughs) They just called it a leak. And it ended up in social media platforms containing portals controlled by who else? Domestic IC. And this domestic intelligence community then report on the leaks to the outlet used by the same domestic intelligence community. Do you see how all this fits together? So by connecting the dots, one can infer that the domestic intelligence community may, in fact, have intentionally placed the so-called classified information on accessible platforms, only to later report on it and its leakage to the same media outlets that they own and control anyway, which align with their narrative-shaping objectives. Isn't that amazing, folks? You could put it this way, one hand washes the other. But then, ask Sundance, why would the IC plant classified information then turn right around and report on the classified information they just planted? This is where you need to learn how the motives work against the bigger picture, says the analysis. The leak or planted information, and then the telling of the leak, the New York Times story, creates an opportunity for the domestic IC to frame a say it with me, Russia, Russia, Russian dismiss or malinformation narrative. And how come would the domestic IC want to stir up a misinformation, disinformation story like this? Well, here comes the rest of the story. 18 hours before the leak, or the story construct, the Russian gremlins, perhaps state-sponsored or perhaps just state-aligned, tricked the former French president, Francois Hollande, into admitting that the U.S. government and Western alliance were in fact behind all of the events in Ukraine after 2014. Now, regular listeners to any of the alternative media platforms, including this show, knew that a long time ago. The actually duly elected Democratic president was overthrown by the Obama regime in yet another one of their infamous color revolutions. All of this, says Sundance, with the expressed intention to construct a proxy war against Russia using, who else? Their puppet Ukraine. Oh, and at the same time, if you can cover up a whole bunch of graft and corruption, do a little bioweapons engineering, and make sure the big guy and all the crime-connected families get their cut off the top, so much the better. Russian pranksters Volvon and Lexus 
posing as former Ukraine president Petro Poroshenko, got the French ex-president Francois Hollande to admit that the Minsk Accords were a NATO ruse to militarize Ukraine and that Western nations then overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected government back in 2014. As Gonzalo Lira noted, Francois Hollande, former president of France, confirms that the 2014 coup d'etat in Ukraine was part of a long-term plan to have Ukraine fight their proxy war against Russia. The Americans, he said, have been preparing for this war since the Obama administration, and it's now been confirmed beyond doubt. Continues Sundance, Hollande's admission supports the narrative of the U.S. using Russia as a scapegoat, including the effort to discredit Donald J. Trump. The U.S. had been planning a proxy war against Russia since the Euro-Maidan protests and the subsequent color revolution in Ukraine, which were initiated by the U.S. State Department, you know the names, and aided by American allies in Europe. And this, says Sundance, is the most explosive dose of geopolitical sunlight in years. And obviously these statements by Hollande were a serious issue for the White House, and the U.S. intelligence community. Hollande was tricked by two Russian pranksters into spilling the beans, the real story about Ukraine and U.S. involvement therein. So, now, do we see the need? This has become an urgent problem. And isn't it amazing? Less than one news cycle later, the intelligence community drops the Ukraine counteroffensive strategy in the platforms that they have access to. Call it a purposeful leak. Then the IC tells the story of a classified strategy leak to the New York Times, i.e. their captive press, and they begin to frame their Russia, Russia, Russia mis-disinformation campaign with the intent to mitigate any issues associated with the Olan story and make sure that they fall into the same claims of Russia, Russia. Russia, Russia, disinformation. Now, here's the kicker, folks. This leak of classified intelligence with the attribution to Russian misinformation is a likely brushback pitch, as Sundance puts it, towards the heads of the media over the explosive Francois Hollande story. And it worked. Have you seen the admissions by Francois Hollande in any of the waste media outlets? Call it unified uniparty interests at play. And this is how the control agents operate. Deflection and adverse information removal is what the IC narrative and their engineering is intended to control. Here we have it, another successful IC operation. And Sundance puts it this way. Once you see the strings on the DC swamp marionettes, you can never return to that moment in the performance when you didn't see them. Now, at this point, your host has to add one more observation here. Call it a related Benny. But if you were looking for an excuse to ditch the senile guy, because obviously he's outlived his usefulness, I actually saw Martin Armstrong on with Greg Hunter not long ago. And he revealed that their estimates say that, at best, Biden's approval rate is maybe 9.5%, certainly not up into double digits. So, uh, yeah, maybe there is a need to get ready to jettison this guy and at least this story and think just for a second about how it could eventually be spun with the guy who managed to leave confidential documents in the garage next to his Corvette, no less. kind of helps to uh, grease the skids for whatever comes uncovered next. <laughs> 